I feel like New Year's resolutions get a bad rap. I, uh, at our house, we make New Year's resolutions around things like, uh, this is a new food I want to try this year, a book I want to read. It's amazing how many times I still miss those New Year's resolutions, but they're kind of fun to, to say, hey, what's something I want to learn to do this year and make New Year's resolutions around that? Well, so a lot of people just kind of abandon New Year's resolutions because we miss them, but I heard somebody recently was bragging about her and her family's New Year's resolutions. And the one that captured my attention was her 12-year-old daughter who said, this year my New Year's resolution is to work harder on my school and not do all the things that I enjoy. And I was like, wow, like this is, and the mom was really proud. I think she's got her priorities in the right place. And I was like, at 12 years old, she's already found a divide in between the things that she enjoys and the things that she needs to do. And I, I was thinking about that because I was like, in that a place that we all find ourselves, we begin to go, well, there are some things that make me happy and they go over in this category. And then there's things that I'm supposed to do, and they go into this category. It it's, could be something like, I want to lose weight. And so, well, the foods that make me happy go over here. The kind of lifestyle that I really want to lead is over here, but the things I'm supposed to do kind of go over in this category. Or it could be, uh, it could be like at home, well, there's the things that I really enjoy doing, but to be a good husband, to be a good wife, be a good parent, be a good child, those are the things that I'm supposed to do. And so we like can create this divide in our lives between the things that we know we ought to do and the things that actually make us happy. I I think I actually think that's dangerous, but more than that, especially spiritually when we begin to go, well there's things that make me happy and then there's the things that God wants me to do. And we make this divide in between happiness and God. God's commands are are on one side and happiness is on the other. And so we can bend all of our energy trying to do the things we're supposed to do while all the time kind of giving our hearts and saying, oh, but there's there's all these great things that I love to do. And God says, no, don't do that. That's something that goes whether we're 65, 70, 75. It's also something true whether we're 5 and 6. We can begin to go, there's the things that God wants and there's the things that I want. And I have to somehow divide those two. Pleasure and God become separate in our lives. Today I want to show you. Today I want to show you how God's call to us is actually not a call away from pleasure. Separating himself and his commands from actually pleasure. He actually joins those two things. We're in the middle of a series called The Eternal Dance. Which is a, a series as we are looking at God the Trinity. And if you're like me, you can go, okay, God the Trinity fits in this category of things that are true that go in this category. Then you go, Joe, what does that have to do with pleasure? What does that have to do with happiness? What is what God is like? What does that have to do with joy? Well, I'm glad you asked because that's what we're going to talk about today. Today we're going to be talking about the connection between God the Trinity and our happiness and our joy. Worship is a word that we toss around a lot in the church. And I want to, I want to, I want to take a look just briefly at how worship is actually a word for seeking joy. In Exodus chapter 20, you can turn there if you want, but Exodus chapter 20, those, that's the famous passage that's God, God's great rules. Whether you're young or old, you've heard of God's Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a graven image. You shall keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother. Do not commit adultery. Do not covet. We know those kinds of things, but Hidden in the second command is this connection with worship. Exodus chapter 20, the second command says, you shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not make 
for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So right there in the Ten Commandments, we see, okay, idolatry is some kind of misplaced worship. You're like, okay, worship's still a word. We toss it around. It means singing. It means when I'm in my car listening to Christian radio or something, worship it has, no. Right here we see from the very beginning, worship is, or I'm sorry, idolatry is misplaced worship. Gets me a little bit closer to understanding what that is. But then if you look in Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, the Bible says that greed, which is a form of idolatry, God says, you know, don't be greedy because it's a form of idolatry. And so when we begin to put those two things together, we find idolatry is misplaced worship and greed is a form of idolatry. Greed is a form of misplaced worship. And so the idea, this sense is that worship is actually when we're seeking our joy in something. Greed is when we're saying, hey, if I get more money, I'll be happy. Which means that idolatry is when we're saying, oh, if I get more of this idol, then I will be happy. This, so at its heart, worship is more of this will make me happy. So food can be that. Relationships can be that. Uh, importance, reputation, any of those things can be worship because we say, if I get more of this, I will be happy. Seeking control, this expectation, this desperate seeking for more of something is actually what worship is. So it's not actually when we listen to music. It's, it's not actually a, a separate part of the service where we sing, well, that's worship. No, it's actually when my heart is saying, more of this is going to make me happy. That's what worship is. And so we find that at the, in the heart of the Bible is this, this connection, more of this. Happiness is what worship is, this desperate seeking for happiness. The image that comes to my mind is, I've been watching this movie with my kids. It's an old movie we grew up, I grew up watching called The Apple Dumpling Gang. Tim Conway is one of my favorite old-time comedians. And in the movie, at one point, there's this huge gold nugget. By mistake, somebody blows it up, and so then this huge gold nugget gets blown to bits. It's spread out all over the place, and the people are pushing each other out of the way, down on their hands and knees, trying to get little bits of gold. And that's the image that we get when we look at the Bible. That's what worship is. People that are shoving one another out of the way, down on their knees, trying to get more of something. This will make me happy. Isn't that what we see in the world? When I hear somebody coming to me with marriage issues, as I listen to this, he did this and she did this and I can't believe this happened and how can we change this? The thing that really strikes me is it's two people down on their knees saying, if I can just get more of what I want, I'm going to be happy. If I can get you to do the things I want you to do, then I'm going to be happy. When I look at an addict or hear a story of an addict, I'm like, you know what? That's a person down on their hands and knees grabbing at whether it's pornography or drugs or alcohol or something in the world. More of this is going to make me happy. See, we, we live in this world thinking we've divided gods in this category. Things and people and drugs and feeling are in this category and more of this is going, to be, is going to make me happy. And what I want to show you today, now that we have that basis, this is worship is seeking more joy. Worship is seeking more joy. I want to show you three ways that we should seek more joy in the triune God. What does the Trinity have to do with worship and seeking joy? This is what I want to show you today. First, the Bible has this call, seek more joy in the Son. Go ahead and turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. 
Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. Paul is just kind of, he's saying, hey, if anybody could be confident in themselves, I could be confident in myself, but I'm not going to be. But this is what he says. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. For we are the circumcision. We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus. Another way of putting it would be, for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Here's, here's what I want you to notice in this, is that there is this deep connection between worshiping by the spirit and glorying in Christ Jesus. The In this, it says, worship or serve by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. It's not, well, these are two separate things. It's actually that these are, this is one thing that where the Spirit of God works, He's actually driving people to seek more joy in Christ Jesus the Son. You see, we usually divide them and say, oh, well, worship is over here, but exalting and enjoying and seeking joy are over here. But here we see in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, those two things go together. That Christian worship, Christian seeking of joy, is actually seeking joy in Jesus. The world says, oh, your reputation is your reputation. The things that you do, the money that you have, the way that people think about you, that's actually where you can be happy. If you can get all the things taken care of and your retirement account is okay and your relationships are in order. But the Bible says that no, glory, worship, seeking joy is actually found in Christ Jesus. It's the picture that we see when we look in Revelation. The whole Bible is pointing towards this one end moment. and John gets a peek at it and John looks into heaven and says... In Revelation chapter 5, he gets this vision, and it's actually a vision of all creation, everybody in the entire universe focused on Jesus the Son, worshiping and seeking joy in that moment. It's the same thing at the very end of the book. Once everything is done and God's enemies are torn down, that Jesus is the one that they are seeking joy in. There's a shortened word. So that Christian worship, Christian seeking of joy is actually seeking it in Jesus. And so the, some of the final words in the book of John is actually, come Lord Jesus. Not, hey, make everything right. Not, hey, give me money. Not give me these things. Christian worship leads to this one point where everybody's hope is, come Lord Jesus. And so the call in the Bible is not, hey, find joy in things going right. It's actually find joy in Christ which means that we can do that regardless of where we find ourselves, regardless of what our job looks like, what our relationships look like, regardless of what our checking account looks like, regardless of what the culture or our government or world governments are doing. The call of the Bible is to seek more joy in the Son, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. But this becomes a Trinitarian thing. This becomes focused on the three, the God that is one and three, because notice that Philippians 3, 3 says, Actually, we're seeking joy in the power of the Spirit. It says we worship by the Spirit of God. You see, the story in the Old Testament was God was commanding worship, people to bow, people to, to worship Him. But we notice that over and over, the people's hearts would lead them astray. And so they're becoming more and more aware, I can't actually obey this command. More like God has commanded this, but on my own, I can't do this. 
And so by the time we get to the prophets in the Old Testament, God says, yes, you can do it on your own. And so one day I will send my spirit who will be inside you. One day I will send my spirit so that you actually have the power to worship, so that you actually have the power to seek more joy. When we look at John chapter 16, verse 14. Jesus says, I'm going to send the Spirit. And then he says, he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Ephesians chapter 5 is this call to be filled with the Spirit. And so when God commands us to seek more joy in Christ, he actually doesn't just leave us on our own saying, hey, guys, buck up, try harder, do a little bit better. The story of the Bible is that he actually gives us the Holy Spirit who works inside us, driving us to worship. Notice it's not a force. God, well, one day I'll just, I'm going to send you this secret force that's going to drive you to worship. I'm going to send you the person of the Holy Spirit, the God that is one in three. The Holy Spirit comes to us on the inside. And so worship is not just something we grip and try harder to do. It's actually something that God, the Trinity, begins working, welling up within us, giving us the power to seek more joy. When I was a teenager, did a lot of the yard work, my, me and my brothers did a lot of the yard work around the house because that's what you assign your teenage sons to do. And we had these hedge trimmers because the entire house was ringed by bushes. And I, these were electric hedge trimmers. And I you kind of plug it in, the, the cord's long enough, and so you can eventually circle the house, move the cord along. But I remember one day, I wasn't paying attention to what I was doing, and I just went and cut the cord. Not the extension cord, I cut the cord on the device itself. So then I had this powerless device that like, you, would ha you have to rewire the entire thing because the thing is no good on its own. can't just replace the extension cord because that's not what I cut. I had a useless electric hedge trimmer because the power cord was cut. That is, that is an illustration of what we find here is that without the Holy Spirit, we actually can't find more joy in Christ. But with the Holy Spirit, we have the power on the inside to worship. And so... We're not just commanded to worship the Son, we're actually empowered to worship by the Spirit. And so the call is for us to say, Holy Spirit, will you enlarge my heart for Jesus? Not to just go home and go, man, how can I worship more? How, do I need to play more songs? Do I need to set aside more time? What do I need to do? No, the application of this is to say, Holy Spirit, will you enlarge my heart for Jesus? Holy Spirit, will you give me the power on the inside to seek joy in the Son? So instead of being like that girl that's like, well... I can do the things that I want to do or I can do the things that I should do. Instead, we can say, Holy Spirit, can you help me to want the things that I'm supposed to do? The third way that we seek more joy in the triune God is we seek more joy ultimately in God the Father. You see, we live in a, oftentimes we live in a zero-sum world that says if I have something, then you can't have it. If I have a job, then you don't have that job. You've got to get a different one. If I have an object, you can't have that object. If I'm going to win, then you have to lose. And so we look at something like this and go, we're supposed to seek more joy in the Son. Where does that leave God the Father? Where does it leave God the Father if I'm worshiping the Son? It's the thing we see in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, where the Father looks on Christ, sending the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, and says, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. Well, in a zero-sum world, the Son getting glory means that the Father does not. But we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we find when He has done this, 
the Son himself will be made subject to him who has put everything under him so that God may be all in all. It's the same thing we find in Philippians chapter 2, verse 11. It says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What we find in these verses is not this zero-sum thing where Jesus gets worship, the Son gets worship, and so the Father is left on the outside. It's that the Father is ultimately glorified in the Son being glorified. What we find is this, this amazing dance where the Father is pleased with the Son, and the Holy Spirit is driving people to worship the Son, and as the people worship the Son, the Father gets the glory. The Father is in this dance as each one of them is loving and glorifying and pointing to the others. The Father is the one who ultimately gets the glory. And so our call is to seek more joy in this dance of love that God has been dancing. This, this story that we find, we glorify and seek joy in the Son, empowered by the Spirit, ultimately to the glory and pleasure of the Father. We're invited into that. We're invited into that dance of pleasure where the God of the universe has been seeking joy in the Son, empowered by the Spirit, to the glory of God the Father. You see, we're not, God doesn't divide his commands are here and our joy is over here. Instead, we find in this an invitation. Can we find our joy in the same place that God finds his joy? Like he finds joy in the Son and the Spirit finds joy in glorifying the Son and the Father gets glory as they are glorified. And so we're called not to just, well, do the things you're supposed to do. Someday maybe you'll, maybe you'll be happy. It's instead, no, find your happiness in the very place that God the Father God the Son and God the Spirit have been finding joy from eternity. It's this dance of love at the heart of Christianity. We seek more joy, not less. So for some of you, you go, how can I enter into that for sure? How can I enter into that for sure? I, honestly, I've never found that much joy in God the Son. I've never found that much joy in God the Father. And I don't feel like the Holy Spirit is actually working in me to find joy. Instead, I find joy in myself. I find joy in the things that I accomplish and the things that I do. But honestly, it never satisfies. Where can I get this great satisfaction that you're talking about? How can I enter into this dance of love with the God of the universe? The story of the Bible is that God made the world and he made it good. And that he walked in the cool of the garden with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. It was this dance of love as God walked with man. The story of the Bible is that Adam and Eve and every human after him said, no, we don't want to walk with you. We don't want to dance with you. We aren't going to find our joy in you. We're going to do it in our own way, seeking it in people and pleasure and things, setting up our own kingdoms, living our own way. And the story of the Bible is that God cast them out of his garden and said, one day I will judge you forever. That's where death and sin and shame and guilt, that's where loneliness and brokenness and all these come, things come from. So the story of the Bible is these people who started out in this dance, now dancing alone. But instead of leaving us that way, the Bible says that God came and lived the life we should have lived, dying the death we should have died, so that all who repent of sin and trust in Christ actually find more joy in the Son, have the Holy Spirit living inside them, and ultimately glorifying the Father with this promise that not that we will go someplace someday and sit in pews and sing for the rest of time. Instead, we will enter into a dance of love where he will wipe away our tears. He will be our joy. He will be the light forever. The heart of Christianity is this amazing dance that we are invited into. And we can begin that dance right now.
And so if you have questions about that, come and grab me. Come and grab me while we sing. Come and grab me when we're in the hallway later. Maybe some of you go, man, I, I am so prone to just try harder at this, Joe. Joe, I'm so prone to go seek more joy in the triune God. Okay, let me come up with longer times to read the Bible. Let's go. I'm going to try and pray longer. I'm going to try and do all these things. No, this, the, the application of this, this, this sermon is no, don't try harder. It's instead, allow the Holy Spirit to empower more joy in your heart as you seek that in the Son. Uh, reading your Bible is a great thing to do. Praying is a great thing to do, but it's not a long list of things to do. If God is the Trinity, three in one, dancing in love, he's actually giving the Holy Spirit to drive us to seek more joy. Don't you think that would change some things? Don't you think at, at work, instead of this, this drudgery, that we, we ha- we're doing the things that I have to do, but I hate to do these things, instead, I can actually seek joy in Christ, no matter whether I'm working in the prison system, or whether I'm working in a school, whether I'm actually unemployed and looking for a job, whether I'm retired and wondering what am I going to do with my life, the Trinity is this call. You can actually dance and seek more joy no matter what your job is, no matter how long you've been alone, no matter what the future looks like for you. You can seek joy in the Son, empowered by the Spirit, to to the glory of God the Father. So will you enter into this dance of worship? Will you seek more joy? seeing that God has actually joined his joy and yours, not separating your joy from his commands. Let's pray. Father, I pray. I pray that we would seek our joy in Christ, that we would, that we would enjoy the empowerment of the Holy Spirit who, who drives us to seek joy in Christ. And I pray that we would enter into this dance that you have been in from eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.